Welcome to Welcome to Primetime, a show covering the Freddy Krueger-hosted anthology series Freddy's Nightmares, one episode at a time. I'm Brennan Klein. Every episode is brought to you by donations from listeners like you. You can get one new episode for every donation you make. Please help us keep going by giving to The Okra Project, an organization that is working to feed black trans people in need. You can find out how to donate in the show notes. This week's patron is Aaron Dries, former guest. You should check out his episodes. And our guest this week is someone who was supposed to be on two weeks ago, but now finally, by popular demand, we have Harmony Colangelo, the other half of This Ends at Prom podcast. Welcome, Harmony. Hello, Brandon. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. How are you? I'm good. Hopefully, uh, the wait's worth it for me. <laughs> I Look, uh, anyone who heard the episode that I did with BJ knows that I was kind of worried that you would not want to come on the show like knowing the experience that bj had watching the show oh i i heard and i actually i was bj watching these episodes with you or was she just kind of existing in the room i was actually i was doing something i don't remember if i was editing our podcast or we were i was doing something and i could just hear her screaming in the background going what constantly <laughs> Okay, so you were kind of coming in blind. I think that's probably the best move. Um, or maybe the worst move. We'll find out. It's all uh, a matter of perspective. But let's remind uh, our viewers, tell us about the This Ends at Prom podcast. What are we in for with this? So This Ends at Prom is a podcast about teen girl movies or, you know, pre-teen girl movies. Specifically because my wife is obviously like you know she grew up as a teen girl and a huge apologist for teen media and teen cinema and i have almost no exposure to it so it's mostly me revisiting it without any nostalgia and usually a lot of hype from decades of people telling me how good something is and uh we see how how i digest it and how it holds up yeah, no, I I am so so pleased that you you two approached me and said like, "Hey, do you want to put this show on the internet?" And I was like, "I can do that because you two are geniuses and I really love your perspective on these movies and I think it's super vital." Oh, thank you. You're welcome. Um equally vital, Freddy's Nightmares. Yes, of course. <laughs> um okay, so we're here to talk about season 1 episode 19 titled Missing Persons. Uh, the original air date was May 7th, 1989, which is actually a full month after the previous episode. So, you know, they took a little break. Um, here's what you could have watched instead during that month. It is, it was a wild time in 89. Um, you could have seen 976 Evil, which was directed by Robert Englund. Um, Castle in the Sky, the anime movie. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. That's like my favorite Studio Ghibli movie. Really? I mean, it's a great one. It is, um, it's one of the best, like, animated adventure films I've ever seen, because it's just whimsy without, but there's still stakes, which usually is sacrificed for just, like, floating feel-good stuff. Yeah, it's like My Neighbor Totoro with a hard edge. Yes, kinda. Speaking of hard edge, you also could have seen Heathers this month, um, which I assume will be covered on This Ends at Prom sooner than later. It's it's on the list. I don't know when we're going to get to it. Most likely we'll probably have a guest go, I want to talk about Heathers and slam their hand down. So that might be when we get to it. Yeah, or 30 guests. Um, we also had Dead Calm, Major League, 
Say Anything, Field of Dreams, Pet Cemetery, and also one I assume is going to come up on your show at some point, Teen Witch. Oh God. Okay, so I have not seen Teen Witch, but I, I've seen a, uh, I've seen the rapping scene. So there's That's... actually more to Teen Witch than the rapping scene, and it is all like that. <laughs> Yeah, my my understanding of it is that it was supposed to be written as a musical, and then they just changed their mind but left that scene in. <laughs> that tracks. It actually it is a very musical kind of film. Like you can you can tell that there is a you know kind of a, a melody to it that's not in a standard kind of fiction movie. <laughs> uh huh. It's a it's a curious film. I'd be I'd be excited to hear your perspective on that. I'm going to go in as blind as I can on that one because that's usually the most entertaining part of it. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, that that's the way to go. I, I saw it like two Halloweens ago. Almost com- Again, sa- same situation. I'd seen the, the top that rap scene and nothing else, and that, that is the way to do it. Perfect. Um, so, and, but another fun thing yeah. uh, in that lineup of movies is Major League, which I don't really care for, but I'm from Cleveland, so Ooh. that is like an institution here. Like, Burn On by Randy Newman, which is all about criticizing Cleveland for kind of being dirty and lighting its own rivers on fire all the time (laughs) on accident. Like, Clevelanders embrace that because they're like, oh, it name drops us. That means it's good. (laughs) And it's not. (laughs) Well, wow. I mean, I feel like a lot of most Cleveland name dropping I've seen has not been, like, positive Cleveland name dropping? No, I mean, when it comes down to it, like, Cleveland doesn't have a lot of movies set here. We have, like, Major League and Howard the Duck, and just, it, it's not a great deal of material to work with, but Cleveland's actually in a really big upswing right now. It has been for about uh, probably eight to ten years, and it's 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 definitely pulling itself out of the... Uh, the iron-working blue-collar despondency it was in for a couple decades, which is nice. Okay, well, that's good to hear. And I'm, I'm sad to hear the disrespect for native son Howard the Duck. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, good for Major League. I actually haven't seen it, but it doesn't quite seem like I should. It's it's fine. It definitely has... Um, there, there's, some, there's some really strong racist overtones for one of the characters in particular. Great. But... Uh, yeah, no, it's it's fine. It's it's a it's a better than average baseball movie, but I've seen better. I still don't think baseball movies are particularly interesting. So, no, I don't I don't think baseball games are particularly interesting. No, they're not. They're just long and boring. At one time, I attended an Angels game with a friend of mine who had free tickets, and I was just, you know, like looking around at all the people and all the like advertisements on all the boards and everything, and then I looked at this one screen and i was like why does that number keep changing yeah and turns out the game had started and there was no discernible difference in the crowd no or the arena or the noises i was hearing it it just kind of quietly slipped in and politely started without you know drawing too much attention to itself yeah basically it's people get excited when something happens but baseball's mostly a lot of not much happening uh, a couple years ago the cleveland indians changed uh, or they won the uh, World Series. Oh no, they didn't win the World Series. They lost, I think. Did they? I don't. I don't it, see shows how much I follow sports. But the answer has been lost to time. Nobody knows. Yes, but I was in a um, a bar with a bunch of other people because they dragged me along, and I have seen about that baseball game and no other ones in probably fifteen years. So that's a solid way to live your life, probably. Yeah, I think so. 
I'm a, I'm a hockey person because it's a little more exciting because there's fist fights. Very true. <laughs> um, okay, okay. I'll, I'll try to let's get me back on track. Uh, the writer and director of this episode is Jeff Freilich. So this is an auteur piece. <laughs> um, he is the show creator and executive producer. So he has all of his fingers are in the Freddy pie. <laughs> all right. Um, the cast here, um, as Mr. Franklin, we have Timothy Bottoms, who is a name I recognize, but I haven't really seen anything he's in. Um, and as Gina, we have Eva LaRue. She was in 153 episodes of CSI Miami. Um, um, okay. So she's probably popular to your grandparents. I and... watched the first, the, the original CSI. I watched a lot of that growing up. That's unfortunately where i learned a lot of things about sex so oh great the the miami one was a lot less raunchy from what i understand because it's not set in vegas i didn't know the original csi was in vegas yes it was who knew um she's on a bunch of all my children and she's also still working apparently because she was on that show finding love in quarantine that looks quite bad oh i've never heard of it so (laughs) yeah i don't know how well it will do post quarantine yeah, well, we'll see. We'll see when that when that comes. You know, so it might have a long, long run. Oh, uh, please no. I no, I hope not. We're you know we're, we're stuff's happening. We'll see. Yeah. Um, anyway, here's the, here's the plot of the episode. <clears throat> we open on Gina, played by Eva Larue. She's being driven to a babysitting gig, and she says, "Oh, I know this place." And the man says, "You grew up here," which is the strangest way of delivering exposition I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, and so then, okay, here's where we have the cavalcade of content warnings on this episode. But the first one is fat phobia. Oh, yes. Um, Jesus Christ. It does not pull any punches at all as far as that. <laughs> so I did actually watch these episodes. BJ didn't watch her episodes with me, but I watched mine with hers. And she was just immediately like, oh, no. I'm like, and yep we were in for a ride immediately you guys are interested in problemat like problem films right oh yeah like oh maybe this won't be pure punishment i love problematic things like if nothing else they're interesting because it's not necessarily you learn good things from it but it's kind of like where we were as a society at that particular time Mm -hmm. but oof I, I grew up a fat kid, so, like, I got made fun of very similarly. And, uh, I like, I wasn't, like, on edge but or uncomfortable from that perspective, but I'm on edge going, oh, no, th- there's there's nothing about this that has aged well. No, and we will, we will dive into that, you know, progressively the further this half of the episode goes. Oh, yeah. Um, but basically, being in the house has triggered these memories of her growing up as, like, a fat kid, and she's now this model so you know her figure is very important to her um and then she has this like flashback of kids chanting like roly-poly fat and ugly at her and then for some reason tied in with this scene is the kids she's supposed to babysit are are monsters who are chained to a wall roaring at her i don't know how it (laughs) relates but that's actually an interesting image because kids are nightmares that's true um but also, to counteract that, the kids are playing Mario, which is a real blast from the past. Oh, they are. But the weird thing is, um, I'm watching it, and I'm just being like hypercritical of it the whole time, going, no, they're underground, and it's playing the above-ground music. I'm mad about it. <laughs> I'm being persnickety. 
I mean, maybe Nintendo didn't want to license that exact music for them. I don't know. I'm su- I'm surprised they got that big of a brand on this show because normally it's all you know fake ass shit. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was the '80s, and Nintendo was pretty omnipresent and like everywhere for a good five, six years there. So, I mean, it's not that surprising from that aspect. That's true. And also, Freddy is interacted with Nintendo again because there's a big Power Glove reference in Freddy's Dead. So maybe yes. it's, it's, this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. I mean, there was a uh, Nightmare on Elm Street game on the Nintendo, so... Was there? I, have, I didn't know that one. Yes, there was also a uh, Friday the 13th one where Jason yeah. wears a purple jumpsuit and just punches you in the face. I have seen clips from that one, which seems terrible. <laughs> Oh, it's 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 not good. It's and there's one song and it basically loops forever because it's only about 15 seconds long. Huh. Great. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a thing. It was a weird era of Nintendo where they made a lot of uh, children's games out of R-rated properties in the same way that you would get Saturday morning cartoons based on Rambo. The 80s really were just the wild west for franchising opportunities. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> like I actually own a handful of like Nightmare on Elm Street paperbacks, um, which seem geared to maybe teenagers, but definitely not for adults. Yeah. Well, I uh, mean, a few episodes, a few movies in, and Freddy was basically a cartoon at that point anyway. So that's a good point. There's probably appeal to to kids, I guess. Sure. Um, speaking of the kids, um, basically the babysitters they say like. This house is run by our rules. We would do what we want. You can use the kitchen when we're not in it. Um, I I respect their power. And as that babysitter, I'd be like, you know what? It's in your hands. I'm just going to hide in this room and scream if you're dying. Yeah, just like don't burn the house down and I'm just going to leave you alone, basically. Yeah. Like as but long the, as they're playing Mario, who gives a shit? Yeah. But I mean, they don't they don't play Mario forever. They eventually get bored and cause a humongous mess. In about... 30 seconds, too. Yes. Um, the lights go out. She can't find the kid. She goes in the kitchen. It is purely a disaster. Just explosion. It, it's like someone left, like, a million monkeys put a million blenders on, and they all forgot to put the lids on. It was, like, a mess that you would expect on, like, a Nickelodeon children's game show. Oh, yeah. Somebody got gacked. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, it is, it is truly abominable to look at. Um, but she's more annoyed that they're trying to eat junk food. Um, yeah, because it's it's poison or whatever. <laughs> yeah, she yeah she straight up says like it's poison. But really, my big concern in this scene is that in the kitchen there's a framed poster of a tourist shot of Holland, <laughs> and I am ninety five percent certain this is reused from an airport scene in the episode "Do Dreams Bleed?" And they probably just found it and were like, "Well, we need to cover up something here," so. Holland, I guess. Sure, why not? <laughs> um, so there's a bag of Crunchy Boy potato chips on the counter. This is, this continues to be the one element of the Freddy's Nightmares universe that happens over and over again. Is that there is a burger restaurant called Beefy Boy that is the kind of center set for several episodes. Um, it then got taken over by a pizza place called Cheesy Boy, and now we have Crunchy Boy. So the the marketing firms in Springwood are run by one person with one idea. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's a greater boy franchise, and it's like an offshoot of Big Boy. Oh, that's a good point. Oh, that's probably where it came from. I'm just, I'm, I'm tracking the, the Beefy Boy kind of trajectory here, because it's the most interesting arc of the show. I'm just waiting for Taco Boy. Ooh, 
Oh, I would I would go to Taco Boy. Freddie just Freddie's got a lot of boys going on there, you know. That is for, true. They the, for when they retcon him and murdering children's not enough. <laughs> yeah, he's he's a you know conglomerate. I I can't I don't know business words. I'm I'm an artist. Um, <laughs> Anyway, so Freddy's in his liminal space. He has the chips. He's like, old habits die hard. This babysitter can't eat just one. And this is, you know, not where it begins, but where it gets progressively worse. Um, there is a cool shot of him pulling a chip out of his mouth, which is clearly like a reverse shot of him eating a chip. But I was like, yeah. oh, that's kind of neat. Um, basically, the kids are reading Hansel and Gretel. Um, that's going to come back. Um, some some heavy-handed foreshadowing. Yes. And then some junk food turns into little puppets that start screaming at Gina in, like, Edwin Mad Hatter voices. Oh, they were amazing. I love that the, to- like, the hot dog, he just, like, his head flops open. Yeah, it's kind of gross in a, in a cool, fun way. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then the junk food kind of attacks her, and this, the pizza lands on her face with this huge cartoon splat. Yes. Um, Which, like, that was that pizza did not look nearly wet enough to make that noise. No, and it's so loud in the mix, too. It, it is <laughs> glorious. Um, there's an 80s robot who delivers a... Is that a moon pie or, like, a ding-dong or something? It's, like, some kind of, like, cupcake, but it's, like, really ambiguous. It's like you took, like, a hostess cake and then scraped the frosting off, so then it's just cake. Yeah, it's a, it's a choco boy, we'll call it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and there's a whole Hansel and Gretel trail of those to somewhere i don't even remember um, it's like the living room yeah it's kind of useless but then the mom calls and she's like oh the kids are asleep and she's like oh the kids are asleep before midnight glad you have reached an understanding and then she keeps repeating this phrase like you're not watching them watch yourself which doesn't seem to apply come back in any real way it doesn't and they say it like at the beginning of the episode too so it's like this recurring thing so maybe it's like watch your weight i i don't really know what it's getting at and Maybe. also at this point i was kind of like she has like a like a drunken bender of junk food and yes. passes out and i'm like oh please tell me she ate like sleepwalked and ate the children that actually will you know it kind of has basically she gets very hungry and because she's losing control over the kids and over this night that she, you know she feels compulsively to eat or whatever um there is a dog named freddy in this episode who shows up and sees her eating out of his bowl but then the food is worms and she coughs it all up in the sink and she coughs up a ribbon and the kid's like you ate my sister so i kind of wish we had actually seen that because that would have been appealing to me it would have been so much more fun but i i don't know if you can get away with eating small children on tv in like the late 80s What's wrong with our society? <laughs> I don't know. We were too obsessed with sex in the 80s. We hadn't gotten to, like, being obsessed with violence to the same level on TV yet. <laughs> That's fair. Um, okay, so here's where here's where we really got to kind of dive into. Because at first, I was... I always... When problematic material rears its head, I I always try to think, like, okay, is this a way that this character feels? Or is this a way that the show feels? Mm Because there is a difference Um, because sometimes characters are wrong or characters are bad or evil and the show doesn't necessarily reflect their opinion as a good or right thing or, you know, present it as a major part of the theme. And this is where the episode proves to me that, nope, this is just the episode being completely um, 
off base. Yes. Um, Because basically, after Gina's eating spree, she becomes fat, and by becoming fat, she not only literally becomes a monster with the big toothy ogre face, um, but she loses her personhood so much that she's no longer the protagonist of the story. Um, All of a sudden, we're supposed to care about this little boy who has been nothing but horrible, and we're supposed to, like, watch him try to defend himself Rambo-style against this, like lumbering monster of fatness because she's no longer a human being yeah it it took a weird turn in terms of like it, it's it's trajectory because now like she's she's like a big gross pig monster and i'm i i like the care the monster design i don't really like the you know implications behind the monster and i got a chuckle because i'm watching this kid like arm himself with guns and like camo paint on his face and it just makes me think of the uh the little kid from Terror Vision who has like <laughs> the crazy war veteran grandpa. And I I don't like this kid nearly as much as that one. So I don't know who I'm rooting for then. I, I'm just rooting for it to be over a little bit at this point. Yeah, because like the, the kids seem like they have been set up to be the villains like thus far in the story. And now all of a sudden this this boy is you know, the the lead of the episode. And it, it's a really frustrating switch. Um, so basically she's trying to eat the boy because she's already eaten the sister. Um, but then she wakes up and she's a kid again. And her babysitter shows up and brings Hansel and Gretel. Oh, there's also a weird cutaway to her eating the babysitter that it's, it's very family guy. Yeah, and she's also like looking out the window and just seeing herself walking down the street being like made fun of by like a roaming pack of children. So there's a lot of weird cutaways and multiple dreams. And I don't know if this is how this series is in general, but the two episodes I got, they are, they are a, they are a trip in that way. No, these episodes do end up being a nonlinear string of people waking up and then waking up and then waking up most of the time. So at least this part of the episode was, mainly one story at once even though it had all those hallucinations and cutaways and yeah it's like kind of cohesive i guess yeah cohesive in the service of evil (laughs) yeah Um, (laughs) although there is a a freddy's scene is kind of cute he's being roasted on a spit that's being spun by a skeleton (laughs) oh yeah and like the skeleton's very cheap and it just is a very it cuts a really nice image yeah it's the skeleton is very adorable um, and then he says some dumb pun about, like, you are who you eat or something. Yeah, um, which, like, bless Robert England for getting paid to do this. Like, he probably sat in makeup for, like, four hours to record everything for the entire season and then just, like, peaced out. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so the, the second half is now following Gina's dad. Gina actually still is a child now, except there's another Gina. I'm confused. I'm already confused. There's lots of Gina's. There's this is the singularity. Everyone is Gina. We are all Gina. Okay, but okay. So the Gina child is there, but now the protagonist is her dad. Um, he has some sort of work stress situation going on, but the mom asks him to take Gina to school, and he, like any straight man, goes, "This is like being in a prison. You've asked me to do one thing for my child." Yes. Um, he's, just, he's just having a he's having a midlife crisis. And he's complaining about, like, I didn't think that I'd grow up and be 35 and this is my life. And I'm watching this man going, dude, you're like 
You are not 35. You you look way older than that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, look, uh, spoiler for next episode. We're going to discuss every character is about 15 years older than what the character says they are. 100%. <laughs> um, but basically, the whole thing, it's actually almost a Freaky Friday setup. I was hoping it would do more because he's like, I would just love to wake up and be somebody else. Um, and so his wife's like, well, you weren't cut out for life in the fast lane. And there's a box of flaky O's behind him that turns into Freddy O's with a poorly superimposed Freddy Krueger going, the fast lane's a dead end when you're stuck on cruise control, which probably means something to someone. Yeah, um, I mean, it doesn't really make sense for how cruise control works. I think we're just, we're forcing in the car-related puns. Oh, yeah. No, I'm I'm surprised that he didn't have 18 more, just, just, just for funsies. Yes, just he has a, like an entire like joke book full of them, and then they just picked the one they liked the best for the episode, which is unusual because usually they pick the fifteen they like the best. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so basically he's driving to work. Um, there's the the police are doing a car chase, and that car rams into him. But then also the driver of that car gets in his car and hijacks it, which is it's you know it's nonlinear. It's like Tarantino. Oh, yes. Uh, this is a regular Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Um, so this guy, Vinny, points a gun at him and is like, drive, yuppie. Um, because the word yuppie is really being thrown around in these two episodes. Yes. And then he, like, blows a kiss at him. Oh, does he? Or is that the he, guy like, later in the jail? No, he gets in the... They both do. But, like, okay. he gets in this the car and he just is like... And, like, just he winks and blows him a little kiss. And then he does it again later when he shows up at his house but i guess we'll get to that in a sec oh yeah you're right um well so basically after he gets hijacked we kind of cut to him being in police custody he's like it wasn't me it was the guy with the italian clothes which was just a weird phrase to me like i know it it was a turtleneck (laughs) yeah i don't know if it's italian but the man looked italian-ish yeah i mean his name is Vinny. like i get they're going for a vibe but it doesn't happen no. um but my favorite part of the scene is that the police say like you're not getting any phone calls and he does this very high-pitched scoff where he's like huh <laughs> my favorite part is that the police don't handcuff this man they just tie him to a chair and then when they need to see him out they just pick up the chair and carry him away <laughs> the, the the police of springwood have gone mad since donald thompson left <laughs> yeah, apparently <laughs> um but again, okay, the new content warning of gay panic, he's put in a cell with a, a man who makes a kissy face, and he's like, I'll confess! And she's like, yay, this is... Prison rape. Yeah, we did it, everyone. <laughs> Which, like, I don't I don't know how jails work, but usually the jail at, like, the police station itself is just, like, a holding cell. It's not one that has inmates that are like, I'm so lonely, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna go for any man that I see in here. Yeah, it's not. This is the drunk tank that he's in. It's not prison. He's not in like maximum security where this is a thing. So it's really shoehorned in there. Yeah, well, just because we had to. It's the AIDS. Yeah. Um, This is during the AIDS crisis. We have to make gay jokes, obviously. The world is so wonderful all the time. Isn't it just? I'm so happy to be here. (laughs) Um,. Okay, so he gets out of jail. Um, Gina, the teenage slash now adult, like, 
model girl from the first half. She also exists, even though she's also his daughter. Let's not think about it. Um, she drives him to work, but nobody there recognizes him. And then he has her drive him home, but his wife and kid don't recognize him. Reminder, the kid is Gina. <laughs> yes. Um, There's Gina's everywhere you look. It's like being John Malkovich. Yeah. Um, or, or just multiplicity. I mean, that's a much easier joke to make, honestly. <laughs> Although, no, okay, I actually, I made the connection because the being John Malkovich joke when he crawls into his own brain. That scene is terrific, and I'm sorry I didn't pay your joke the respect it deserved. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> I forgot about that scene, though. It's, like, the most memorable one for me because then you have John Malkovich with, like, pearl earrings and a dress, and they're trying to make him pretty, but, you know, he's still John Malkovich. Oh, yeah, no, that... That movie is so interesting. That that's a different that's a different day though. Yes. <laughs> um, so basically, his wife gets really nervous about the strange man on her porch, and she calls for her husband, and the husband is Vinny, um, and he shoos him away, and the the guy goes, "You're that guy," which is vague. Um, so basically, Gina takes him home to this swanky kind of pad. And he's like, who is Vinny? And she takes off her skirt all sexily. And she's like, my lover. Mm-hmm. They sleep together. And then she gets on the phone and she calls and she's like, he's pumped, primed and ready. Take him. Which is such a line. <laughs> it really is. Did not need to. Like she had been, she wrote that this morning. Like she was ready to use this line. Oh yeah. It's like such a, I put him to bed kind of with my sex kind of thing. And it's so, no one will ever say that. And she was clearly really proud of herself. Oh, yeah. No, I I think she fancies herself a, you know, murder poet of some kind. Oh, she's just a regular femme fatale with her super high up on the hips, 80s bikini cut panties, (laughs) which I miss. I miss the way too high up ones that you used to see in the 80s and early 90s. Oh, yeah. The ones that basically meet with the bra. Oh, yeah. It just makes everyone's legs look super long, and I love it. Oh, yeah. Oh, what a look. Um, Okay, so basically, someone goes to machine gun his bed, but it's just pillows under the sheets, because I guess he knew. Um, He smashes a lamp on the killer and goes down to Gina and tries to make her confess what's going on. And she's like, you made Vinny up, and now you're him, I guess. Um, And then he takes the car. And then she calls someone else and is like, he's taking the car. And, like, Gina is in cahoots with everyone in this town. I'm I'm guessing it's the police, maybe, because I guess that she wants she wants him to go to jail now, even though she got him out of jail, so that she can have all of his money and stuff. I I guess there's no real resolution on that part. It it switches scenes mid thing. Yeah, I just I I do love that Gina apparently has a direct line to I don't know every like underworld situation that could exist. Yeah, Gina's the real kingpin. She, she is, is like the king Gina. Oh, I would watch that movie. Um, <laughs> but so so anyway, like he's driving, but then he kind of like the scene fades around him. And then he turns out he's in his neighborhood and the police are chasing him. And then we do the thing that th- these episodes like to do, which is kind of loop back around to the beginning. He's now driving the criminal car that smashes into his car while he's driving to work. He sees his own corpse. And then he sees himself as Vinny in the mirror of the ambulance. And he's like, no, no, I can't be dead. Yeah. Well, he gets to be Vinny now. And I don't know, like j- my move would be just to work for Gina, probably. You know, sure. B 
be be his little like live be her little living boy. Yeah, she look she pulls all the strings. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. Um then we get Freddy in a super sexy motorcycle jacket um and a helmet and he's like the life you save may be your own. And then he puts a ticket on another skeleton, which I guess maybe was the one with the spit and then the ticket bursts into flame. Which like that's a very cool effect honestly. Oh yeah, it really all of the skeleton business is I don't know why I find it so cute, but I love it. It just reminds me of the really goofy army of darkness skeletons. Yes. Um it's so adorably like Halloween store chintzy. It's it's uh, so cute. It's 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 very doable. Like anybody at home could put together this scene with Freddy themselves with just <laughs> a little elbow grease and uh, like maybe 50 bucks. Yeah, they, they, they should sell the Freddy's Nightmares decorative kit. And it's just a little <laughs> little foam skeleton and a ticket and a motorcycle helmet. I would love that. I would buy that. <laughs> oh, for sure. Uh, there's a lot of merchandising opportunities that they missed from the show, I think. Yeah. Um, but okay. So what are your final thoughts on this episode? Was it a dream? Was it a nightmare? Or did it put you to sleep? Well, it didn't put me to sleep because it certainly wasn't boring. But I'm not going to say it was a dream. I guess I'm going with Nightmare. Yeah, me too. This was particularly brutal. Not not the most incoherent episode, which is not a good thing for this show. Um, it's just, low praise. Yeah, it's a, that's a low bar. Um, but the, the subject matter is really, really ch- challenging and not yeah. handled well at all. Yeah, it's uh, it's punching down quite a bit, and it's do it's like doing so while blindfolded and drunk, so it's very sloppy. Yes, um, it's just the lack of focus in these episodes is startling to me, especially since one person wrote and directed this episode. So this this must have been the message he was trying to deliver to the world, and I don't know what it is. I have no idea either, especially as someone who grew up watching like Goosebumps and Are You Afraid of the Dark and essentially like anthology horror television shows, mm-hmm. which usually had met like a message that they started and ended with. It usually had like cohesion in not some more than others. And to see this and go, oh, no, how did how did some shows from Canada like five years later do this better than grown adults? Yeah, and also a lot of the, or some of the producers on the show went on to make Tales from the Crypt, which is such a fabulously better show than this. Oh, infinitely. And just the, the impulses here, I, I don't understand. I, I I don't know. It was it was uncharted territory, so it's this was the, uh, this, this show walked so better ones could run. I guess. I mean, the Twilight Zone existed before this. Like, they have no well, excuse. Well... I, I don't even have a joke for that. You're right. Oh, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> no, it's just this show has personally hurt me. I've seen 20 of these by now. Uh, you are you are stronger than I. Thank you. Um, but, well, thank you for, you know, doing even the two that we're going to be covering together. I appreciate it. Oh, of course. It, was, it wasn't boring. That's true. Um, okay, just a real quick reminder. Um, every episode is brought to you by donations from listeners like you. Help us keep going by donating to the Okra Project. Donate through the link in the show notes. Take a screenshot of your receipt. Send it to w2ptpod at gmail.com or DM it to me on social media. I'm on Twitter at It's Raining Brands and Instagram at The Burning Clem. And Harmony, where can our good people find you and your show out in the internet? Well, we are on Instagram and Twitter at 
This Ends at Prom. You can find our podcast wherever you find all of your podcasts, basically. And uh, you can find me specifically at Velocitraptor at, uh, on Twitter and Instagram. It's Velosa underscore trap underscore tour. And if you don't want to memorize the underscores, that will be in the show notes as well. So you can just okay, click perfect. right on that and it'll take you to a glorious Twitter feed that you can't miss. Uh-huh. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Um, okay, so our artwork that, uh, was created by Henry Hall. If you'd like to support trans artists, and you should, you can send him a commission at henryhall.design. Our theme song is Living in a Dream by Pseudo Echo. Rate and review us wherever you get us. And next episode, where Harmony will be rejoining us, we're discussing The Light at the End of the Tunnel. A man with a fear of the dark accepts a job working in the dark sewers of Springwood. And a video store clerk keeps having nightmares. Oh, war- <laughs> Trigger warning again this episode. We'll get there. Whew. Okay, until until then, till Friday. See you see you then. Bye. <laughs>